Tis the season for traditions. Now, every family has them. In the Muffler family, uh, we, we have traditions that you would look at and think, oh, you know, that's pretty clever or that's, that's pretty normal. And then when there are things that you would look at and say, oh, that's just not American. Uh, Thanksgiving, my family gathered together in, in Nashville last weekend because we got people going from all sorts of different states. We came together and had chicken parmesan. Okay, I'm not saying it was right, I'm saying it was good. So, whatever your tradition is, congratulations. Uh, now, it's Thanksgiving's over, and you know, I start thinking Christmas. You know, there's Christmas music, and it seems like Christmas decorations are coming up. Stacy and the girls put together uh, the Christmas tree last night. It just feels like a, a page has been turned. Thanksgiving is in the rearview mirror, and now it's Christmas. And I wanted to share with you a few traditions from my past when it comes to Christmas. Now, Growing up, I had a big sister. She was six years older than me, um, my mom and my dad. And my mom wanted this to happen every Christmas. She said, listen, here's what's going to happen. You're going to wake up. You're not going to go downstairs. You are not going to look at presents. You are not going to eat breakfast burritos of awesomeness. We are going to sit on the stairs and take a picture in your pajamas. Needless to say, my sister and I were not pleased. This was not a tradition that we loved. Matter of fact, there was a lot of grumbling and a lot of frustration. And yes, the 80s were difficult on hair. <laughs> Mainly my sister, because wow, look at that. That's, that's nice. I think there's one more. Yeah. It's nice. You're welcome. Anyway, so there's just traditions, and this was mom's thing, and it's not like I had a position to say, hey, mom, we're not doing this tradition anymore, because she's mom. I didn't like it. We pushed back, but we did it anyway. Uh, another one of our traditions on Christmas morning is after the half hour of nagging, and like, I'll oh, take the picture. Um, we would go downstairs, and we would look at presents, and we'd make breakfast burritos, and, and what we did in the muffler house is we kind of all sat down with our presents and went individually in a circle. So it wasn't this mass chaos. And if you do the mass chaos, then go for it, whatever. It's your family. But we would take our time. So if it doesn't matter if we had two presents under the tree or it was a really good year to whatever, we would take turns. Mom would go, dad would go, Kathy would go, I would go, stuff like that. So that way everybody would see what's going on. And one particular year, I think it was four or five um, after the picture of doom, we ran to the tree and we started, you know, looking at name tags like, oh, oh this is mine. Oh, this is uh, Kathy's, whatever. Um, and I saw this box, this big, gigantic, beautiful box. It had my name on it. And I'm like, Santa, thanks. And I thought anything could be in this box. There could be a robot. It could be a dinosaur. It could be a pony with lightning bolts. I don't even know what it was. Remember, I was four and five. I, I didn't have a real grasp of reality. Um, but I thought it could be anything. This is great. So what I decided to do was like, because we went in order one at a time. You know, you start with a stocking. Yay, socks. Thanks, Mom. Um, you know, candy cane. I don't know why. Oranges. We always said oranges. No scurvy in our house. Anyway, um, and so this big box was last. And so we go around the corner. I'm like, G.I. Joe guy, sweet, or, you know, whatever, underwear. And I finally got to the box, and I'm like, I'm salivating. I'm, I'm sitting over it. I'm like the last person. Uh, there's, everything's been open. It's been a great Christmas morning. I'm like, this could be anything. So I just tear it open, and I'm like, no. And then I remember, wait a minute, wait a minute, Santa does crazy things sometimes. What's in the box might not be what's printed on the box. Have you ever done that before? If you like open something, you're like, oh, yay, shoes. But then open it, it's like, oh, yay, socks. Right? And so I'm like, no, 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 Santa wouldn't do this to me. And so I rip open the box, and it was. It was a Fisher-Price-like little desk. 
so I could learn my colors and my numbers and my letters. And I looked at my mother and I said, hey, please tell Santa to take it back. <laughs> right? Because you know, Christmas is about my idea, my presence, my traditions. Uh, if you're anything like me, sometimes Christmas is this beautiful, wonderful, magic se magical season that we want complete control over. We want Christmas maybe with our family to come to our house. We want those magical Christmas cookies of delightfulness. We want this perfect gift for someone else. We look at Christmas and say, man, it's, it's, it's kind of about me. And as long as I keep growing up and maturing, I'm starting to realize that it's not about me. It's not even about my family. It's not even about the people that I love. Christmas is about Jesus. And that's difficult because it kind of goes against our nature. We just, like, um, like Tony just said, we just spent an entire month being thankful and now we're gonna buy some more stuff. I think that's apropos. Uh, I think we have a lot of pressure to make this holiday season perfect, like maybe a Norman Rockwell painting. We want all the details. We want everything in perfection. We want all the food, all the family. Why is that lady bringing her boyfriend with that kind of haircut? We, we want to be in control, but it doesn't necessarily work out that way. Now, we're starting a new series this morning called Second Guessing Christmas. For the next few weeks, we'll be looking at the story of Christmas through the eyes of those that might have a different perspective on the birth of Christ. Or maybe looking at some characters in scripture that we don't necessarily talk that much about during the Christmas season. Now, we would normally talk about shepherds and wise men and stars and angels and, and this poor teenage young woman who is very faithful. But today we're talking about a king who very rarely makes the Christmas pageant. Very rarely will your toddler come home with, with some kind of an art and craft project about King Herod. He is all through the Christmas story, but we very rarely talk about him because he didn't make a lot of great choices. So if you would like to, we're going to go ahead and uh, open up to Matthew 2. Um, it's going to be on the screen, but if you want to get out your tablets or your phones, uh, there's a Bible in front of you if you want to go old school and paper it. But while you do that, Matthew 2, we're pretty much sticking Matthew 2 just for the next few minutes. I want to give you a little background about uh, King Herod. That way, as we go through some of this scripture, you have a better understanding of, of where he's coming from, uh, maybe why he's making the decisions that he is making. Now, uh, King of Judah, Judea, with the nickname King of the Jews, he ruled for 37 years. Now, he started as a great warrior and commander. He led battles. He was in battles, sometimes for the right teams and sometimes for the losing teams. Um, but through that, he really gained some great relationships with the higher up uh, in the political world in the, in, in the Roman Empire. Now, right now, when we're looking at Scripture and the birth of Christ, Rome has come in and just taken over the promised land. Judah, uh, you, you name it, this whole area of Judea, uh, Galilee, Jerusalem, everything has been taken over. And what they've installed is kind of like a puppet ministry or a puppet uh, political system. And they decided, hey, you know what, Herod, you seem like you've got right connections. You're, you're, you seem like a nice guy. What we're going to do is we want you to rule for us. So make sure that, that when we call upon you to do something, you're behind us. Keep the peace. Do everything you possibly can. So Herod is king, but really he's under the Roman Empire. Um, he's famous for building projects like reconstructing and enlarging the second temple in Jerusalem, for building palaces, fortresses, basically redoing the defense of that, of that land. So he's 
in all intents and purposes, he was a pretty decent ruler. He was okay with the people. He built all these magnificent things for defense and, and to bring kind of him glory, but yet at the same time bring uh, Rome glory. And he appeased the Israelites, the Jews at the time. So he kind of played that middleman in between um, the Israelites and the Romans. He had a vision, wealth, and desire to build great structures for the advancement of his own reputation. He was a successful king, except for he had some pretty big family issues. Now, now his family, he's an Edomite, which means basically he's, he's kind of north of Jerusalem. He's, he was not born into uh, the monotheistic one God family, not the Jewish God. Um, but he marries into a prominent ruling uh, Jewish family. He has 10 wives and 15 kids. Let's take a second just real quick and say, multiple wives. No. No, I've got one, and she's amazing. I don't want to double down. I can barely handle one. So anytime you see, anytime you see uh, this in Scripture, most of the time, if not all the time, families are just completely messed up. Let's stick with one, shall we? Ten wives, 15 kids. Um, later in his life, he was so paranoid about his family becoming political rivals, he murdered two of his sons, killed his favorite wife again, a difficult thing to say around the kitchen table if you have more than one wife. Favorite. Don't do it. And that wife's brother, mother, and uncle. So he didn't like his in-laws. Basically, what he was trying to do was protect the power that he amassed through um, battles, uh, through all the connections he had with Rome. He was trying to keep his kingdom intact and allowing nobody else to come and take anything away. Let's take a look at Christmas through the eyes of a man that thought Jesus was a threat to his kingdom. And Matthew 2, 1 through 8 says this, For Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. All of Jer and all of Jerusalem with him. We had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law and asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. All right, so this is, this is pretty Christmassy. We have Magi or wise men coming from Persia, Babylon, um, following a star. I, now, I can't give you an exact what it was. I don't know if it was a comet. I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit GPS that God was giving them. Whatever it was, these men of great influence, don't think of them as kings, think of them as maybe in the president's cabinet. They had a lot of say in, in, in Babylon. Saw something so amazing, they said, we have to drop what we're doing and go see what's happening. God is going to deliver something amazing. The star uh, landed over Jerusalem, so they talked to King Herod because, well, he's king. He should know what's going on in his own kingdom, right? So they walk in, knock on his door, and say, hey, king, I heard the heir apparent's been born. Where is he? Hey, the guy that's more important than you? I hear he was born here. Where, where is he? So the Magi come and talk. Herod is disturbed. A better translation would be terrified. Now, if you're willing to kill your sons, kill your wife, kill your wife's family. Well, we'll put that one aside. Kill your family to try to protect power. How would you feel if somebody knocked on your door and said, hey, I'm taking your job. Hey, I'm, I'm here to take your family. Hey, I'm all this power you've amassed. I, I want a piece of it. He sees the birth of Jesus as a threat to his kingdom. Herod is 
on the front line of the Christmas story. Matter of fact, Jerusalem and Bethlehem are just a few miles apart, and his, um, his temple, uh, his fortress that he built, uh, Herod's temple that he built, was really maybe four or five miles away from Bethlehem to Herodium. And so basically, he knows where Bethlehem is. It's this backwater town. It's about two to 300 people. It's probably not on a lot of people's maps, but he doesn't know what's going on. Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Hmm. Sounds, uh, doesn't sound right, does it? Why would Herod ask the Magi to find the Christ child? He's king. He can do whatever he wants. It's his kingdom. He can order an army. He can order uh, a couple men, uh, whatever, to go find. Go to uh, Bethlehem and go find this kid. So why, why would he ask the Magi? I think two ideas stand out to me. Probably what Herod was thinking is, well, I hope they're wrong. So secretly he talks to them and said, hey, you, you go find him and report back to me. Probably the first thing he thought was, man, you go find him. And if you don't find anything, that's great. Nobody knows. There's no other king besides me. You guys are, you know, got lost on your camels. Probably the best scenario. And two, if, if he does actually exist, well, it's easy to kill a baby. And I don't want a lot of people knowing what's out there. So if I secretly talk to these magi. So we see King Herod is not a very nice guy. In Matthew 2, 9 through 12, it says this, For they had heard, the Magi had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star um, they had seen when it rose and went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they uh, saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and bowed down to worship him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Okay, so my little girls have like a plastic nativity scene in their room. It's cute. Myra's like, no, 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 no. And, you know, they talk to each other and she loves Mary and Joseph um, and baby Jesus, of course. Uh, but what we see here is these, these wise men, these magi come and find Jesus, Mary, and Joseph living in a house as a toddler. Most likely he's about two years old. Wouldn't it be hilarious? Put it in your mind. Normally we have this, this scene of Jesus being this sweet, innocent, cute little baby in a manger. And we think, oh, that's so wonderful. Have you seen a toddler? Have you noticed what toddlers do? Can you imagine a group of men, this big giant group of people coming in and bowing down and what a toddler do? Think about it. It's a good time running around in circles. He's perfectly human. He's, he's, he's there as a toddler. I just love that idea of instead of a baby, he's this little kid. So they bow down and worship him. These men do not follow our God, but they see such an amazing thing in the sky. They say, this has to be king. This has to be something that we react to. I am going to cross the desert and find this newborn king. Matthew 2, 13 through 18 says this. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. There he stayed until the death of Herod. And so it was fulfilled the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity that were two years old and younger. Herod threw a fit and innocent children died. 
I, I, can't, I can't give you a number, and I don't even want to give you a number. But he didn't get his way. The Magi didn't come back and say, oh, we were mistaken, so he could feel better. Or, hey, I came back and we found him. Here's the street address. Go for it. He just threw a temper tantrum. He said, this is against my kingdom. I'm going to do everything I possibly can. When, when we are so self-centered, we don't think of others, to the point of Herod kills children. Matthew points uh, Matthew paints a picture of the depth of evil that Jesus came to redeem. Every time we turn on the news nowadays, on your phone, on your internet, computer, your TV, you see something else. You and I see things that just break us. There is evil and pain like nothing else. Now, I don't know if it's uh, the world is getting crazier or if just technology we have a better understanding but this is the same world that Jesus came to redeem this is the same world that Jesus was born in a manger instead of in a palace as a prince this is the same world that needs him so desperately Jesus had no interest in Herod's throne the Messiah was given to us so that we can have mercy and grace from a loving father now at the end of Herod's life he knew he was not liked. Now, there's sometimes there's great stories of, you know, turn it around. Oh, I lived 60 years as a, as a goober, and then, and then I kind of turned things around. I was a good guy. Herod actually gets worse. This is crazy. Check this out. At the end of his life, he knew that nobody would mourn for him. Nobody would weep for him. So he gathered up prominent family leaders from all around his kingdom and locked them in jail and gave the instructions, the day I die, kill them so that there will be weeping and crying in my kingdom. Sadistic, a madman. Luckily, Herod died, and somebody went, nah, we're not going to do that. And they just let him go and went, went home. So that was, that was fantastic. But this is a man that was so bent on his own kingdom, on his own power, that he was willing to kill, murder, and destroy lives. Herod was a man that thought that Jesus was a threat to his kingdom, and he was right. Jesus was a threat to his kingdom. Here's a difficult sentence. Like Herod, Jesus is a threat to our kingdom as well. Now, when we want to be king of our own life and control everything, there's very little room for Jesus. Herod, the Christmas story through the eyes of Herod, was nothing but defensive, aggressive, angry, trying to keep what you have, trying to build on what you have, and just rolling over people. So I'm sure none of us in here are that narcissistic to go that far as Herod. But to be real honest, I need to be reminded myself that Christmas isn't about me. It's not about what I get. It's not about my traditions. It's not about uh, how much family time, how many Christmas cookies I can eat. It's about understanding that the king of my life was given to this world to redeem. While most people will never rise to this level that we see in Herod, Without Christ, we struggle with some very real issues of self-worship or self-kingdom building. Even with Christ in our lives, we struggle with wanting to maintain power and control. So how do we battle some of these tendencies? Instead of looking at Christmas as a me, 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 I want control, I want to uh, have all the say, I want the perfect gift for somebody, I want the perfect gifts from somebody, how do we look at it and say, how do we make Christ king? And not just Lord. The Lord is the, is the happy warm, fuzzy blanket that he loves us so much. He gives us grace and peace that we can have eternal life with him. But the reality is, is he's also our king. 
So how do we battle some of these tendencies? Uh, most times, if you're anything like me, we don't want to surrender control or power to anyone else. When we're building our own kingdoms, when our lives are focused on us, very rarely do we want to give anyone else control or power over us. We want the say. We want to tell our spouse. We maybe have an iron fist with our kids. We want total control. And when somebody starts eroding that, we get irritated. We might become self-centered and self-protective. When you're building a kingdom for yourself, there's no room for anybody else. When I'm trying to build my own John Muffler kingdom, very rarely are you going to be noticed. If I'm living out my faith and my life for Jesus Christ, and if his kingdom is what I'm trying to build, I can share, share my time, share my toys, share my cash. Um, social media is fun. I like it. I, I can have lots of friends throughout the world. Some I see a lot, some I don't. Um, connecting with high schoolers mainly happens on social media and, and nothing else. Um, but I love living in Bloomington because as a guy, sometimes I need a chainsaw. And I'm not allowed to own a chainsaw for some reason, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, tradition, I guess. Um, so if I jump on Facebook real quick, it's really nice. If, if I ask nicely, hey, guys, can I borrow a chainsaw for the afternoon? There's always somebody kind enough to say, yeah, sure, that's fine. And I haven't cut anything off yet. Yay. Um, and I try to remember that goes both ways. I, as a kid, I, I really wanted a Jeep. And I know that sounds ridiculous. And but at the same time, I kind of grew up just thinking, man, a Jeep was so much fun. I, I don't know how I did it, but I convinced my seven-month pregnant wife, hey, we should get a Jeep. Doesn't this seem practical? It's a great idea. I, maybe it was a moment of weakness for her, but I, ah, I got a Jeep, so it was great. Um, and I'm reminded that when I cruise around in my little Jeep, it's not that much. It's not that big of a deal. And unless you're a high schooler, you can borrow it. You're not a high schooler, though because I've had that. And if someone's like, oh, nice Jeep, that'd be great. I'm like, oh man, I'll fill up with gas, go for it. I'm not saying, oh, look at me and how cool I am, I can share my toys. But at the same time, if I'm remembering that I'm running after Jesus, my stuff isn't my stuff. I'm trying to further his kingdom. And it's a silly Jeep and it's a silly chainsaw, but it's an outward expression of building someone else's kingdom instead of your own. Next thing we struggle with is we offer phony worship. And this is, this is kind of painful. Now, I'm, I'm not going to stand here and say my, my faith journey has been perfect. I've had ups and downs. I've looked at Jesus and said, oh, man, that's great. You and me, here we go. And there are sometimes I think, oh, and do I really? Am I going to live this way? Am I going to live for him instead of live for me? Some of us live a completely different life outside of Sunday morning worship. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just going to try to be honest. You and I, when we come here, Sunday mornings are whenever we have the opportunity to worship if we're living for ourselves, sometimes we show up for church to people to see us, see what we drive, see what we're wearing, that they can check off a box and say, well, I've seen the, the Joneses, and if you're Joneses, I apologize. Um, well, I've seen them at church, so everything's cool. Sometimes we can off, offer up phony worship. King Herod looks at the Magi and secretly says, hey, shh, I want to worship him too. No, no, he didn't. And the last one, we, sometimes we become vengeful to others if we don't get our way we can, uh, we can throw a fist up in the air and say, God, how dare you take that from me? That was mine. We can say, you know what? You didn't deliver. You didn't give me this. How dare you, God? We can look at our family. We can look at our parents. We can look at our kids. We can look at our spouse and say, you haven't delivered for me and you've taken something for you, so I'm gonna push you away and I'm gonna hurt you. We can scream to God and say, you know what? Forget you. We can look at our wives and say, you know what? You didn't measure up. I I'm out. We can throw a temper tantrum like King Herod. When we're building our kingdom, we are inward focused. 
And Christmas is the perfect season to be reminded that our king was born to us so that we can find redemption, that we can chase after him. Christmas can be a magical time of celebrating Jesus Christ. When we make a decision to follow our God instead of following and building ourselves, our kingdoms must come crashing down. Jesus is to be worshiped, not ourselves. We see a clear picture when we look at Christmas through the eyes of King Herod. He had opportunity, he had ground floor tickets, and he did nothing with them. But we have a choice this morning. We have a choice today to say Thanksgiving was this wonderful opportunity to meet with family and eat tons of turkey or chicken parm. It was great. What do we do now? Do we run around like crazy people, stimulate the economy? Or do we sit back, relax, and give the king his due? Do we sit and bow down and say, you are the ruler of my life. I love being in charge, but I know and can trust that you have a better plan for me. That's my challenge for us today, you and me, because I struggle with this too. As we walk through this Christmas season, in the next few weeks, we're gonna hear different stories, uh, but at this time, right now, this morning, take a second, take a minute. Tony's gonna come out here in just a few seconds, and we're gonna do something a little different to wrap up. Instead of having an invitation for you guys to come forward, we're gonna play um, some music just for a few moments. Pray, think about, maybe get out your phone and write down some notes, that's what helps me. When we start really considering that our kingdom shouldn't be number one, that God's kingdom should be, that we should chase after his will, his desire, his grace, so that we can build his name. Looking at Christmas through the eyes of Herod is embarrassing to see a man make so many poor decisions. How are we doing? We can do better. We can be a congregation. We can be a church. We can be a body of believers that stand up and bless small businesses, schools, hospitals, fire, police. We can move and groove in this community and take away from our control and take away from our self-centered lifestyle and show others that we're chasing after Jesus Christ.